Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher of common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the founders of Dragon Bites and a paediatric trainee based here in Wales. Our Dragon Bites Basics episodes are hosted by local medical students who discuss topics with paediatric trainees from Wales. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that this is an introductory podcast and not meant to replace your regular revision. Bear in mind that practice will change depending on your locality and as new evidence comes to light. This week we're going to be discussing brain tumours. One of our former medical students from Cardiff University, Georgia Parry, who's now Dr Georgia Parry, will discuss this topic with Dr Blanche Lum, a paediatric trainee based in Wales. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to this student edition of the Dragon Bites Basics podcast. I'm Georgia Parry, a medical student at Cardiff University. So this is another one of our oncology podcasts and I'm very fortunate to introduce Dr Blanche Lum, who is a paediatric registrar with an interest in oncology. Um, and today Dr Lum has very kindly agreed to speak with us about brain tumours in children. Hello Dr Lum, how are you? Hi Georgia, I'm great, thank you for having me back for a third time, feeling very special. <laughs> So this is quite a difficult topic to discuss, really, um, and thankfully these tumours are quite rare, but definitely important for us to know about. So thank you for being here to, to guide us through. Um, so if I start by asking you, what, what are the different types of brain tumours seen in children and how common are they? So that's a loaded question. So there are lots of different types of brain tumours, is, is the simple answer. Um, it's the next most common cancer in children after leukemia. So it's about 20% of all cancers in children and that's about 400 children a year, something like that. Um, they can be benign or malignant. So there's things like low grade gliomas, craniopharyngiomas, choroid plexus tumors. They're kind of the benign group. Um, and low grade glo- gliomas are the biggest one of that. So they make up about 40% of childhood brain tumors. And then you've got the more malignant ones. So people probably heard of medulloblastoma, ependiomas, um, and then there's some rarer ones like ATRT and the high-grade astrocytomas. I'm trying very hard to say these correctly. Um, so they're kind of a bit rarer. So the most common benign ones are low-grade glioma and the most common malignant is a medulloblastoma. Okay, and is there a particular age group that they're more, uh, they're more commonly affected or does it depend on the different types that you've just talked us through? Yeah, so brain tumours um, can affect anyone from kind of babies right through to teenagers. Um, I think if you went into kind of the epidemiology and, and cut it down, there's different ones are more common in different groups. But I think just generally for this audience, it's important to consider that any age can have a brain tumour. And I think people always forget about infants, but there are infants who have types of brain tumours as well. Okay, and what kind of clinical signs and symptoms should we look out for? So that again is such a loaded question because of the because of the age range really. So symptoms that you see in babies are going to be very different to symptoms you see in teenagers, um, just by the nature. So I'll do a little plug here. There's a great website called HeadSmart. I have no affiliation with HeadSmart, but they do guidelines and presentations for different um, ages. And I thank you. No, so um, I tell all my medical students and actually a lot of like GP trainees and stuff I work with to just check it out. It's like a 150 page document, but there's some nice summary infographics which show you things to look out for. Yeah, don't, don't worry, you don't have to read the whole thing. Um, 
but the main thing so headache is obviously the main thing um but headaches with red flags so you probably know the red flags of headaches things like early morning headache headache that wakes you from sleep headache where you're vomiting or feeling sick in the morning so they're kind of general red flags for headaches any neurology obviously is a worry so weakness one side of weakness legs arms face um but also things like clumsiness and poor coordination like ataxia or difficulties with your balance might point to something in your cerebellum um fits obviously if you have a seizure and you're not known to have epilepsy it's just something to think about um and with children what i would say is uh Someone told me once, I don't have kids, but someone told me once, when your children are older, your teach, the teacher will spend more time looking directly at them than anyone else in their life because they'll sit in class and look up at the teacher all day. So often, if you're not sure, something doesn't quite sound, sound quite right, talking to the teachers can be quite a good way of, um, of kind of teasing out the finer stuff that, oh yeah, he's suddenly changed, he's much angrier than he used to be, or he used to be really good at English and he's just not able to spell simple words, stuff like that, you might get more from teachers, or parents might say teachers are mentioned to them. Okay, Um, that's an interesting point, I hadn't thought about that, thank you. Yeah, someone said it to me once and I was like, mind blown, (laughs) because you don't think about it, do you? But how, parents who are listening in, how often do you sit and look directly at your children, probably? I don't know, when you eat dinner, maybe? (laughs) yeah if that (laughs) oh thank you well um that was one of the questions I was going to ask you actually because one of the things I worry about as a medical student is headache being so common and having such a wide differential so obviously it's it's difficult to tease out what what's um sinister pathology and then what you can safety net and discharge home um so that was really helpful thank you yeah I could talk a bit more about headache if that would be helpful yeah if, if you don't mind so you're right, I mean, headache is super common, super common in children. And I, I want to say now they're doing headache-specific clinics, like a bit more of a an OT approach to children with headaches or, or serious headaches because they are really common. Mm. Um, so, yeah, always look for red flags. So the most common red flags are early morning headaches, headaches that wake you from sleep, vomiting in the morning, which is to do with pressure effects, so like raised intracranial f- pressure. Obviously, anyone who comes in with a headache who's got some neurology, you should worry about. So it's really, really important when you're on your paediatric placements that you practice neurological exams in all ages because it's fairly easy to do one in a teenager because they'll follow instructions. Much harder to do one in a child or like a two-year-old. It's actually easier in a baby in some ways than, than like in a two, three-year-old. Um, so you can use tools like headache diaries, um, fluid, like what are they drinking? Are they drinking a lot of caffeine, food intake, that kind of thing, just to give you a bit more of a pattern. Like, oh, they always have a headache when they don't drink any water at school because they're running around, that kind of thing. Um, Like I said before, ask about school performance. Is the headache affecting them at school? That kind of thing. And always ask if they've had their eyes tested. Like, I saw a boy in oncology clinic who his parents were really worried because his headaches were getting a bit worse, but they weren't worrying sounding headaches. And I said, oh, when's the last time he had his eyes tested? And they said, oh, I don't know. Next month, I saw him in clinic, glasses, headaches much better. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, and you won't get a good look in the back of an eye. I mean, I will hold my hands up. It's very difficult to get a good look at a disc in a small child in a normal clinic where you don't have eye drops. So either sending them to their own optician and they can have a better look or ophthalmology if you can't have a good look. And that will just give you a few more hints if you're not suspicious enough to want to do a scan but you just want someone to check there's no signs of raised intracranial pressure and opticians and our ophthalmology colleagues are probably your best help there oh that's a good point I find ophthalmology so hard <laughs> yeah it is it is tricky 
Um, so are there any specific signs we could look out for which would give us clues about where the tumour is in the same way that you would think about regions of the brain in a stroke um, in adults kind of thing? Yeah, so your knowledge on neuroanatomy is probably way more up to date than mine because <laughs> you do it in medical school. Um, but yeah, you just think about your anatomy. So you've got your kind of cerebrum that does a lot of the it's two big hemispheres, just lots of thinking, learning, memory problems, that kind of stuff. So if, if you've got anything that affects that, it will affect your kind of higher level um, cognitive functions. Then, you, like I've already mentioned, your cerebellum. So if you've got stuff at the back of the brain, um, it controls your movement to balance coordination. So if they're walking, is a very good, always good to check, like your tiptoe walking, heel toe walking, um, and on your heels and in kids you can just make that a game and they'll happily run around with you so that's quite easy to do even in the little ones um, and just looking at their gait generally is good to check that and then obviously you've got your brain stem so that does more of your temperature control your heart rate blood pressure things like that so just checking your observations and also like your eye movements and your swallowing so we're back to checking your cranial nerves which is tricky in children <laughs> um, but always worth doing and I think 60-50-60% of childhood brain tumors start in the posterior fossa so like in the back um so you kind of more like to see those cerebellar brainstem signs in children than you might see like signs like a stroke but okay yeah revise on your anatomy i won't <laughs> i won't do it in case i do it wrong cool thank you so once you've got all this information and you are a bit worried that there might be a brain tumor how do you go about diagnosing them yeah, so scanning is, is the way to look. You want to look in their brain. Um, if you can't, if you're still unsure, like you said, ophthalmology, getting their eyes looked, that will help you decide. Most of brain tumors, you need an MRI scan, but in various centers, it's easier to get a CT, especially out of hours first. So if you have real concern about raised intracranial pressure in a child um, or, or there being significant mass effect or something going on in their head, which might be a bleed, it doesn't have to be a tumor, you don't know based on the signs. Um, the first line, just do a CT scan. There is radiation involved, but it's not enough not to do the scan. And then that will guide you. Because if it was a bleed, they might need, you know, they might have a tumor that caused the bleed, but they might need acute neurosurgical intervention. If it just shows a mass, then it might be that they need MRI scanning before you can do more planning. Um, but yeah, scanning, CT, and then MRI tends to be the course. I see. And you mentioned surgery. Are there any other um, treatment options for brain tumours or again, does it depend on the type? Yeah, so surgery tends to be the mainstay. Um, if you can cut it out and get what's called an R0 resection, so no good margins, and um, then for some of them, that, that treat, especially the benign ones, that's enough treatment. Um, but generally they'll have chemotherapy and radiotherapy following up after that. So they always tend to have the surgery to debulk the tumour or remove the tumour if they can, plus or minus if they've got big ventricles, they might need a shunt. Um, and then that kind of acts as the biopsy as well. So it's, it, you, sometimes we do biopsy without debulking. We're really not sure and it looks a bit weird, but you tend to get the biopsy done at the same time as the debulking, so you only have one surgery. Um, and then once it's diagnosed, you'll have a different chemotherapy regime depending on what it is or... Um, and we do wider staging, looking to see if you've got anything anywhere else, um, any metastases that might change a treatment. Um, and then radiotherapy, we try and leave that until they're a bit older because radiotherapy has effects on growth. So if you do a lot of radiotherapy, that has to be, say, they've got cells in their CSF and you have to do whole cranial spinal radiotherapy. If you 
do that when they're little they might they'll probably stop growing and then they're going to have a very short kind of spine um but with the introduction like protons which is radiotherapy but a bit more targeted they can target smaller areas in the brain to try and minimize those side effects but some children have to have the whole brain and spine um, radiotherapy so then that has much bigger impact okay and can you leave the do you need treatment for all of the benign tumors can can you leave some of them just and and monitor them yeah i think you can it probably depends on where it is what it is and the size of it so for it to have been found unless you're having kind of like a scan for another reason and it's an incidental finding it's probably having some effect oh that's a good point yeah (laughs) so so then they might be debulked and then just followed up you know they've got a good i saw a girl not that long ago who had a really big tumor that they took managed to get a really good reception on and we just follow her up now because it's a benign tumor that doesn't need treatment but they have regular scans i think there's six monthly or annually for quite a while okay and it, the what are the kind of side effects of treatment and how, how much would you say that it affects the child in comparison to say leukemia treatment side effects and the rest are like different so in leukemia you have very intensive chemotherapy and you have high risk of infection um, and nausea vomiting mucositis things like that the surgery itself can be quite damaging because you're taking bits of the brain away so i'm not a neurosurgeon but obviously there's risk especially if you're working on that pituitary area of causing damage and, and they can get pan pituitaryism because that was a mouthful so <laughs> then they'll need hormone replacement and things like that um, and they can get that from radiotherapy as well and then the chemotherapy itself has the same risk so they're still at risk of infection when they're neutropenic from the treatment but obviously their white cells when they've got them still function normally which isn't the case in leukemia um mucositis and things like that all there's still the same risks of chemotherapy and then the radiotherapy you can get skin damage and skin burns and changing growth that kind of thing there's probably more to radiotherapy it's not an area i know a lot about um but they're slightly different side effects even though they have similar treatments if that makes sense okay thank you um and do you have any advice on on how you support children and families through their treatment because it must be so tough yeah it is really tough and I'm doing a leadership year at the moment and I say I've got an interest in pediatric oncology and everyone goes, oh, that must be so tough. And it is tough, but I, I always say to people who don't know much about medicine or people who do not know much about oncology but know about medicine, is it they're still kids at the end of the day. So the kids, especially the younger kids, still want to play and still will ask you to trick or treat with them on the ward <laughs> and things like that. So they treat the kids like kids, obviously safely. So like sadly the... Um, the dog doesn't visit the oncology ward in the children's hospital, that kind of thing. Um, and then the families, you know, it's hard, but I'm constantly amazed by families and how they cope with it. And especially because as medical students, you're quite privileged in that you don't have a workload in the way I do. Like you have the time to make a cup of tea. Yeah. You can do that. That doesn't hurt anyone. Oh, thank you. Um, and is there, what, what is the prognosis for these kind of... Um... Or again, does it vary? It does vary, and I don't know the like the numbers off the top of my head. I have to say, I think they've got a bigger morbidity in that having a brain tumor has a bigger long term impact between surgery and radiotherapy and things. Um, but off the top of my head, I don't know the numbers on the like survival and stuff. This is probably another difficult question. <laughs> but if you could summarize what we've talked about, do you have any kind of key messages for us 
um, as medical students going into our placements and then beyond into training. So similar to what I said with leukaemia, headaches are common. But if you don't think about brain tumours, you won't find them. And the one thing I'd say if you get nothing else in this podcast is just go check out the HeadSmart guidelines. Um, just look at the infographic. Don't read the whole document. And just it just shows you really nicely how different things will present in different ages. So, you know, aggression in a teenager might present as like irritability in, in a baby, that kind of thing. And, and that's probably the best thing you could take into your practice. Okay, I definitely will go and have a look at that. I hold my hand up. I hadn't heard of it at all. Well, thank you so much for um, talking us through and sharing your knowledge and experience uh, on, on this topic. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, so that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And tune in for more Dragon Bites pods soon. And I just wanted to say thank you to both Blanche and to Georgia for recording that episode for us. Please join us again next week for one of our regular episodes. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.